Hello, I'm your host, Kathy Chester, and welcome to the Move It or Lose It podcast, a podcast about all things that move the mind, body, and soul. The Move It or Lose It podcast is for information, awareness, and inspirational purposes only. I am not a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV. So please consult with your doctor before making any medical decisions. The views expressed by advertisers, guests, or contributors are their opinions and not necessarily the views of the Move It or Lose It podcast. Hello, welcome to another edition of Move It or Lose It. So today, as I always say, I'm very excited about my guest, but I always am. And today, this has been a long time coming. My trying to get her on has been a little bit clunky because of COVID and all the MS fun stuff that we get. So finally, I have Dr. Kaufman. She is a psychologist at Michigan University, and she does a lot of interesting things with pediatrics, and she's a neuropsychologist. And I know that most of us are very, very excited about that. So we're going to talk about a lot of advocacy things. We're going to talk about also what it's like in pediatrics. I know a lot of us moms and dads are concerned with our autoimmune diseases and how is that going to affect our kids? So without any further ado, welcome. Thank you so much. So I just call you Dr. Kaufman. You can call me Jack, Jackie or Jacqueline too. That's well, I love Jacqueline because if I had another name, I'd be Jacqueline Kennedy for sure. <laughs> so I love that. So Well, that's easy to hold on to. You're yeah. welcome to call me Jacqueline. Okay. Well, I like it. So Jacqueline, I have so many questions for you. So right now you're on vacation. So thank you so much for doing this for me. I love this. So you're at, you're at the University of Michigan. So you started originally in Metro Detroit. Where did you live around here? So I actually, I grew up um, originally as, as a kid in Oak Park and then okay. later, later childhood in West Bloomfield. And then I oh, yeah. stuck around for college here. Got it. University of Michigan. Oak Park is so funny because now it's like the trendiest place that all of our millennials are going. So they're yeah. like, do you know Oak Park? I'm like, yeah, it wasn't the same <laughs> back then, but it is now an amazing place to live. So I'm very interested in your degree. So you went from there and then you went to the University of Wisconsin. Yep. I went to University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. They have an urban campus and um, I went there to get my master's and PhD in clinical psychology. Okay. And then that's also where you got your neuropsychology, correct? Yeah. So you, you know, in, in psychology, you can specialize in a lot of different things. And um, neuropsychology is one of those subspecialties, kind of like if a physician becomes a dermatologist or a cardiologist, that's how that went. So what, what drew you to the neuropsychology? So um, I'm sort of a a dork around, I really like science and I like um, brains and I, um, I like behavior and people, but I also really like brains and um, neuroscience. And um, along the way, I learned that you can actually combine those two things. Right. Study behavior and in brains and focus on that as a clinical psychologist. Can I tell you how grateful we are in the disability world, how grateful we are for people like you on behalf of all of us who need many more of you. Thank you so much for what you do. So you went into neuropsychology and then what drew you to pediatrics from there? 
Well, you know, part of your training along the way, you have to do a lot of different clinical placements and try things out. And I, well, I love adults. I really do. And and now as I've done this for longer, I've returned to doing a little periodic adult work, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I love kids because, you know, I, when I started working with them, I saw that they're really honest with you. If they don't like the day that they're having with you and they don't enjoy testing, they just let you know straight away. And they really have all of this potential. I find them to, you know, I, I find working with adults a little trickier because I always feel like, well, what can I do to help for kids? Nice. They've got all this time ahead and there's so yeah. much flexibility. So I like getting in there and, um, and kids come with parents. So you get to work yeah. with adults and kids. So do you find package. that the parents are typically willing to do the things that you ask to make this work? That's oh, such a good question. Because I, I know I, that you probably run into a lot of parents that are like, well, we tried this, didn't work, moving on. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, when I step back out of the space of being in a clinical appointment with people, I really believe deeply that every parent is trying their best to do the thing that they think is best in that moment. And right. I think, you know, sometimes when we make recommendations, mm-hmm people will say, oh, I've tried that before. And, and it's, um, I try to be really sensitive to the idea that maybe they have tried this before right. and it didn't work in that moment, or they didn't do it exactly the way I'm recommending. Right. And I, I mean, I've done it before you, you go on a diet and you say, well, I tried that. And right. it's easy if it doesn't work to throw your hands up. Right. So I do try to partner with people and say, well, let's think about about it's a different time and I'm a different sure. person, you know. Yeah. yeah. Or where they were at at that that moment. And yeah. like mentally, emotionally, I know that um just, you know, being a mom of now five, but you know, growing up just having as I raised my three and now I have five kids with my husband. I know that for them, it definitely some things worked. My kids had a lot of neuro, neurological issues and at times I could get it to work and at times I had to kind of back off and yeah. try. So I love that as many parents that are in the autoimmune world, um, I got my RA stuff, my MS stuff, and now seizures. So I just have all sorts of fun things. Yeah. But for so many of us, we worry a lot about our kids. We've worried a lot. There's no testing. There's no this. There's how do we know if there's something yeah. going on? Um, and even if we don't have an, an autoimmune disease, if we see something with our kids and we want to take them in and we don't feel listened to, and yeah. as you know, we know them more than anyone, we're with them. And so it's that fighting I remember doing with my with my son and my daughter who struggle with autism and fighting that constantly, them telling me, no, they're fine, they're fine down the road later on, finding out my son had Epstein-Barr and then has now has multiple sclerosis. Yeah. So it's that knowing as a mom, but not being heard. So what I found fascinating about you is that you not only hear, but you advocate and listen. So talk to me about that. What got you into more advocating for your patients? I think some of the things you just described resonate deeply with me that, um, you know, I would say the bulk of providers out there are like right there. They're on your side. They're by your side. They're on a journey with you. That's why they went into healthcare. Um, and the same goes for teachers and all of the people in the village that surround kids. 
Um, but the flip side is, I think there are uh, subsets of our healthcare and school communities where there's an idea that that they know better. And I agree with you. I think you know, moms and dads, and in, in instances where it's not a mom and dad, but a grandparent or an auntie, sure. you know, they know the kid better than anyone else. They're the right. expert. And, right. And I think if 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 you see something that doesn't feel right. I think sometimes we don't have a label for it. And I think sometimes that partnership of, you know, you describe to me what you see. Right. Um, I think sometimes I've, what I've heard from families, and I guess I, I would advise families to, to like be mindful of this is if you are using language that doesn't match the correct label for something, Sometimes the provider will react to that and say, no, it's not that. And what right. the communication is where it breaks down is that instead of saying, I hear you saying there's a problem, it's there's nothing wrong. Right. And, exactly. and there, obviously there's something wrong. Or you right. wouldn't be sitting in the office. So that I, is I so heard that enough. It just, it, it, oh, it, yeah. it made me want to help families. That's awesome. Communicating. So then how did you even begin advocating? How did that start? What was the beginning of you you connecting with? I not only could do psychology with these people, with these kids, with these families, but I can not, I can advocate for them as well. I think there's two main places it started. One was um, I started doing more school calls with kids, you know, like just saying, you know, Hey, if you want, I can call into your IEP or your individualized education program. Where were you when my kids were little? I needed you. Well, there's, so, you know, there's so many of people who will do this too. I think if you ask, you know, yeah. but I think, you know, just saying, can I even see what you're dealing with? Cause you know, there's a disconnect. I can advise you on what to say at a school meeting, but I had never actually been to one. Right. And as soon as I came to one and sat in, I, I, I thought like, God, this is really intimidating. I would yeah. be anxious here. Right. So just being the outside person to say, you know, you don't have to absorb and hold all of the anxiety that comes with sitting in this room. I, you know, I don't have the vested interest of my kid, so I can absorb some of that for you. And then we right. can have a safer space. And then it, it went to having different conversations with my colleagues. If, if I, if we were co-treating a patient saying like, you know, I heard them say this, they may not have said it that way, but right. you know, is this something you've looked at? Is this, you know, just as partnership yeah. alliances. Um, so that's where, where it kind of started. And then it yeah. moved into, you know, I serve on the board of United Cerebral Palsy and I, you know, that's been another, like by partnering with agencies, right. that, that's another way. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. And are there other psychologists that do this or just you? Are you the but only think, one that advocates? No, I think, gosh, you know, I honestly, I, the, when I talk with my colleagues, both psychologists and physicians um, and therapists and in, in rehab, there are loads of advocates. Yeah. Just no, I'm teasing you. Yeah. <laughs> but I do know, I mean, looking back to my own childhood, I had a, I had a wonderful psychologist that advocated for me. I grew up in, in just a, in just a bad house. This isn't going to be about me, but I want just to, again, reiterate how much that helps. She yeah. is, we are still friends when I, you know, became older and wasn't a child anymore. We connected and now um, she is one of my very best friends. And all those years when things, when teachers didn't understand what was going on at home, she would advocate for me. 
and step in, whether it was school or anything else. And that one person, just to give you something to be proud of what you do. When psychologists looked at my paperwork and saw the family that I grew up in, they passed it around and said, she won't be alive by the time she's 18. Mm -hmm. She'll have either committed suicide, it's not worth it. This one psychologist grabbed my paper and said, not on my watch. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. That's amazing. What a testimony. And so testimony to what you do, because it's people like you that advocate for us when we're kids that save us. So thank you for doing that. That's it's really it's it's too kind for you to say that. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of there's so many providers who really, you know, when they see a need, they step in. And, and I think those are the people you want to be working with. That's for sure that's who you want on your team. Yeah, definitely. So I want to go into a little bit of the pediatric neuropsychology that you do. But I also want to talk about the personalized care, which I know goes into the advocacy so what would you say is different when you talk about personalized care? When you're with a child, let's say you're meeting with a child, what is different that you do with a child versus with an adult in that personalized care? So I think, you know, for a child, oftentimes we don't ask kids what they know. And I mean, kids are the only person with themselves all the time. You know, they go to school, they're not with their parent. When they're at home, they're not with their teachers. They are with themselves all the time. And I think often if you take the time to to sort out how to get at the information, kids can tell you a lot about what's going on with their health, with their thinking skills, with their social circumstances and their their problem solving skills. And so I I think part of pediatric care is really taking the time to do a private moment with kids where you're getting a medical, a proper medical history. I do it as, as much as I can without a parent there uh-huh. because I'm going to spend time with a parent. I'm yeah. going to get that information, right? but I want to ask the person without them constantly looking yeah. to the right to see what their parent down. is saying right. and ask them, what do you notice? What's happening right. in your body? What's happening right. in your thinking? And oftentimes, um, by the time I get to the parent and I say, you know, your kid described this, the parents are always like, right. really? They saw all of that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not so out of touch with what's happening right. in their body. I think we can do a better job diagnosing and treating things if we ask the person who owns that condition. And so that's what I yeah. try to do. And I think that's what's a little different about kids is you have multiple players and often it means the the ownership of the information gets diffused and then it's it's muddier. Yeah, no, I definitely can see that. And I see, I can see where meeting one-on-one with the child, you've got to build that connection first. Mm -hmm. You've got to build that trust and that openness that the child feels like, okay, this is, this is cool. I come in and talk to you. And if that's not built, then they're not going to be able to talk to you with mom, dad, grandma, auntie, whoever it is. Yeah. They're not going to be able to do that or be very honest. They might hold back. Now I really want to go into um, your um, award that you won, but I want to go into the interview that you had in, I believe it was in February of 2022. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So talk to me about that. So you went in, you have this interview and you got an award. So you also received the, you were the recipient of the Leonard Diller lecture award. Now, did you win that after you did the speech? 
So it, it was, a, I was notified that I had what is just a tremendous honor, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by, by my colleagues who nominated me. Um, and at our national conference, which this year yet again was virtual, then I delivered a lecture for you that. You did the lecture. Yeah. So I loved that. And then the interview, I just, I really enjoyed, um, obviously learning more about you. I love the part that when the takeaway, when you talked about unexpected pathways, I loved keeping, getting pulled back to advocacy for individuals. So obviously that was a passion early on. One of the things you said is I hope as a key takeaway that people remember that rehabilitation psychologists often have blurred lines between our professional lives and our advocacy outside of work. And ideally we can all serve as community leaders and maximizing inclusion and participation over all individuals with disabilities and all facets of our lives. Tell me what you mean by that. It's, you know, it's why on my first day vacation, I don't think about this as doing work. It's because I, I think I think that we're in a field where when you work with individuals with disabilities, you see that, you know, having a disability shouldn't mean you aren't participating in life. It shouldn't be something special. It should right. be a, it's a natural thing. It should be an odd thing if you're not participating in life. Right. So if that's just an everyday thing, then you're, then if you're advocating, it should just be an everyday thing. You should, when you, when you walk somewhere and you see that, that the curb cut is messed up, it should draw your attention that, well, my neighbor couldn't get up here if they needed to right. get on the sidewalk. And it, I don't, I, I think that sort of thing is like just a, it's a person thing. We should be attentive and remember, you know, particularly in this time, we're talking a, a lot more as a nation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, For sure. and we talk a lot about race and religion we don't talk a lot about disability inclusion and huge swaths of America, huge swaths of our world are affected by disability, whether it's a visible right. or invisible disability. Yes. It's odd to me that, that, that there isn't the collective outrage about, Agreed. about not having inclusion for people with disabilities. Yeah. And I see that a lot, obviously, as, as my disability progresses and I need to use, um, you know, trekking poles, something like that. Sometimes I see either looking away or not wanting to be helped. And there's still that, um, especially now, my goodness, there's that kind of looking away. I don't want to deal with this. I don't see you. And it makes that person with a disability feel not only unseen, but you know what, maybe I should just not do this. Maybe I'll just go back home and just not participate in the world. And you feel that way because when you're out in public, you feel like you're such a nuisance and such a bother for all yeah. things. And so it becomes very difficult to go out and want to participate in life's things that we should be able yeah. to participate in. Two days ago, I was walking into my building and there was, a, at work, there was a woman coming in who um, had some mobility difficulties and her her um, assistive device caught the, the um the rug. The, oh yeah. You know. Right. And so she got kind of tangled up and we, the door, you know, it was, we were, we were sort of sorting out and then she apologized to me. And it, I said to her, <sighs> don't you dare apologize for taking up space. Like what, what kind of, 
what kind of a crazy thing is it to apologize for taking up space? And you do feel that. And you feel that you have to apologize. It is. That is crazy making to me. For sure. And I so appreciate you saying that and bringing that, um, that knowledge to the forefront, because it's one of my big passions is to see that because so many of the patients that I work with deal with much more severe disabilities than I have. And so to watch and to hear what they go through is so frustrating and angers me when I hear that um, the bus didn't get them. You know, there's such a shortage right now in workers. Mm -hmm. So the handicapped buses, especially in California right now, um, they can wait two hours in the heat and wait for and then wait for the doctor's appointments. And then the doctor's like, I'm sorry, I can't see you. So the frustration of that disability, then you get home and you're just like, what do I do? So there's so many ways that I think our culture um, just doesn't want to deal with it. So when I say I appreciate the fact that you bring it up and that you see it and advocate for it is, is so big for us. Are you battling a chronic illness like multiple sclerosis? And know it's time to add an exercise program and movement to your body in order for you to have the best health and independence for you. I'm so excited to announce the launching of my new program, Dammit Program, Disrupt, Move and Transform, a program for us, our autoimmune warriors with a trainer who really gets it. You can find me at moveitorloseit109 at gmail.com or you can DM me at MS Move It or Lose It, or feel free to take a look at the program at moveitorloseitpodcast.com. Can't wait to see you on the other side. So tell me about what happened in sixth grade to you. Oh, yeah. You know, so the school I went to, you had this option to volunteer at different places. And a group of us got bussed out to this. It was called the Einstein Center. It was what would now be, it's like self-contained classroom yeah. set up. I, I don't I don't know the state of the laws at the time. I don't, I don't right. know exactly what it would be, but like the equivalent would be self-contained classroom. And it was kind of like an intermediate school district program within a school. So right. we would go and we were each assigned to a classroom. And the classroom I was assigned to was with kids who had very significant disabilities. And at the time, I was really um, jealous of all of my friends who were with kids who had more mobility and were these these cute little developmental classrooms. And and they were all describing all this stuff. And I was in a room and I, at the time, felt like, well, I feel like I'm just standing around and not doing anything. And it didn't feel very interactive. And the one of the people I was working with, you know, was working on just feeding. And they were, you know, my age. And I, I was like, oh, huh. And I started working with them and, you know, they started to get better with swallowing. And, and at the time I really like a light bulb went on of like, this is really important and special. And what a wonderful thing that this kid was working on eating and they're eating better. Right. And I, I just, I, it was sort of like a light bulb went on of, you know, get your, get your priorities straight about what it means to, to be among people and, and live and, and to, to make gains wherever you are. And it, right. it, it, it has never left me. I love that person. 
That's so neat in sixth grade that you would have that. And then know this is what I'm supposed to do. Don't know how I'm getting there, but I know I'm supposed to do this. I love that. I always worked with, um, in high school, I worked with special ed. So that was very much the, what I wanted to go into. Same thing. I worked in there. I was asked to do, you know, do you want to do this? Okay. I felt like I was doing nothing. And yes. then I sat in and I was like, wow, they, they sense so much. They sense when you're having a bad day, they sense when um, you're really not there because you want to be. So when I, when I worked with one and same, I saw something happen when I finally decided I would, I would participate. Um, I was like, wow, this is something that is really needed. And, and they give back and they are honest. Mm -hmm. They don't hold back their opinion. They just say it. And it was so, um, I, I really enjoyed that part. So I can very much see how you feel that it's like, wait a minute, this is something I can make a difference in. And yeah. so you certainly have. So I can only imagine that that had to be an incredible lecture, an incredible award to receive. So yeah. moving forward, what did you find the most difficult in, um, in being able to work with the kids during shutdown, pandemic and all that? Yeah, well, you know, our, our clinical life looked a little different because neuropsychology testing is like this very intimate, like you're right across from somebody, right. you know, we sorted that out and eventually got back to it. But I think the thing that became the hardest was, you know, all of the things I'm used to as far as recommendations and, you know, how I diagnose things and I, all bets were off because if someone came in and said, oh yeah, now my kid is really distracted. Well, I would be, if I was sitting on Zoom all day or right. my kids not make, my first graders not making progress in reading and they have cerebral palsy. And I'm thinking, well, how many other kids without cerebral palsy aren't making progress with reading this year? Is it really a problem? Are we over pathologizing right. this? Right. Year? So, Very you know, smart. it, it yeah. just became really hard to feel confident about anything. Right. So a lot of a lot of my reports and conversations with parents changed to maybe it's this, but I don't know. And we're going to have to sort of be patient and see. So I don't, right. I don't like just slapping labels on people unless I feel it's helpful and it's honest and, and true. Now, did you get, I'm curious because um, I found it to be interesting and in not only disability world, but our normal world, the cognitive stuff. Mm-hmm. was just, and still I, I see it a lot. Um, it kind of helps me feel a little better because I'm seeing it all over. I'm like, yeah. everybody's cognitively messed up. Yep. So how do you, how are you seeing that in pediatrics? Yeah. You know, I think like the grownups, the kids are all a mess and um, we're seeing mental health problems in kids at rates that are, are terrifying. Um, and I think yeah. in part because, and I, I saw this in a lot of parents, they'd say, you know, well, we're really busy, but our, you know, I don't know why my kid's having such a hard time. And it's like, well, cause we're all dying here. Right. <laughs> right. Crummy times. Yeah. So Something I think you've never gone through that. No, of course. And I think everybody forgot the kids were going yeah. through it too. They were thinking, well, this doesn't affect them. The same. Right. Sure it does. It's everything's disrupted. So yeah, the, I mean the mental health stuff is terrifying, and and you know all the all the thing that the things that kids do as a full time job they socialize with each other. They, right. They have control of a, certain aspects of their life that they lost complete control of. Right. So 
I mean, that's where they find themselves is with their peers and they try different things out. And so that got, I mean, nothing like what you did. I was so empathetic to the kids. I love kids. So another reason I was very drawn to you, I could not handle seeing my clients and stuff, what their kids were going through. So I set up, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do Zoom kids camp. So I did that for second grade and another grade. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it gave them time that they could have fun with their peers. I let them go on for like 10 minutes before and I could hear them talk and I'd be sitting there and just, just let them have that time that they weren't getting. And then we go on and just do some, you know, superhero workouts and things like that. So I think it was so important during that time to really hear them and see them and understanding that they weren't fine. And so much had, they were like dropped into this adult world and hearing very many adult conversations that they should never have heard and would normally not hear. And so I think that when I see the kids now, I see this depression a lot and this frustration and also them acting in certain ways much older because they feel like they, they have to now. So I think that that in the psychology world has to be um, something very tricky that you guys are working through. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, you know, it's 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 a weird combo of you know things being a, a for sure mess. Them having a lot of the mood stuff, and them having had to have grown up a lot quicker. And because they've been through something, there's something right. tremendous. We've collectively been through something, and I think um, you know what I what I did encourage a lot of both kids and the grownups with the kids is I said, you know, let's just, let's just give this year grace. And if, you know, particularly that first year, I was telling a lot of parents, they said, you know, oh, well, they're not doing their homework because they're not. And I would just say, you know what? Okay. Is this, is this the crisis? Is this the sword we're going to fall on? Is right. really yes. let it go. Just right. let's just call this year a wash yeah. because they will be in good company yeah. and, and not particularly for parents of kids with disabilities or I see plenty of kids where the parents also have disabilities or things happening for them where I say, you have your own stuff. Can, can, can you give yourself grace? Can you say, you know what? I, I don't have the bandwidth for it and we're all going to be just fine. And right. one year will not a difference make. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that, I think that's very good. And very, um, I think would take a lot of this down the anxiety yeah. and the emotions of, I don't know what to do. This is happening. This is happening where parents are and the kids then can listen to you and relax and know this is not fun. I don't like it, but it's going to come to an end. And I think that that was so important. And I wish that every child could have gone through um, psychology during that time because I think it was so needed. And so many of them slipped through the cracks. And I think a lot of our disabled kids for sure which was very concerning. So moving forward, what are some of the things that you are really looking forward to doing that you really see this? I see this coming and I'm really excited about this. Um, Well, you know, on a, on a personal front, and I hope there's increasing amounts of this. um, Certainly, certainly I hear colleagues talking more about this. I think I'm really interested in um, where we go with increasing the quality of our transition planning with kids 
who have disabilities, helping to increase autonomy and decision-making for adulthood and, and really having less of a dichotomy. I think right now, particularly in our schools, we have um, this dichotomy of, you know, you're either on this, the diploma track or the certificate track. You're either going to be educated or you're going to work in a, in a, a very Burger minimal King. sheltered workshop <laughs> to the, you know, these, these like really bizarre right. dichotomies. Right. It's nonsense. And I think really helping kids, their parents and the schools have a really broad and granular way that we think about how we move people to independence and how we get people living on their own, even when they have cognitive and developmental disabilities and you know, you don't have to, I always tell people, you don't have to be in your parents' basement when you're 26. We exactly. can sort this out. I even love though that. You have delays. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's a scary thing. I think when kids start to get older, that fear of I'm going to be here forever. I'm never going to be yeah. separated. I'm going to be in my parents' life for about my, for till I'm 80 years old. So that yeah. can be, that can be a bit terrifying. So I love that you get them to just kind of, I also love one of the things I really like that you said is um, in the interview, as cliche as it is, you said the greatest mentors I have are my patients and families. So sure. I think that that again, goes back to the things that you've talked about is your ability to really listen and engage, because if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be able to hear what they're saying. And so I love that because it speaks volumes to who you are and that that because of the way you are with your patients, if I, I don't want to speak for you, but how would you say patients and family have been your biggest mentors? I think because, you know, in, in, when I'm blessed to have honesty from families, you know, about how the care is and what, you know, what's working for them, what's not is they help me hone how to help the next person. You know, I, I hit a certain point in my career where now I've been with people through their full childhood right? and, and seeing what were the things I did and suggested that fell really flat, either because they ticked people off. And I mean, we've all done it or where it really made a profound difference. And I, I feel like the, the shift that sort of understanding that I, I can gain mentorship and guidance from families and patients came the more I started reflecting with them and saying, you know, we, we tried this and how do you think that worked? And do you feel like this is a good idea? Um, and having more of a conversation about all of this, it's just right. made all of the difference for, for how I've personally grown and been able, I hope, to give back to families. Yeah, I can only imagine that that had to be, uh, that that has to be a huge way of being able to see what's going on is to be with them and to get inspired by them. One of the other things you talked about what, were we talked about the blurred lines. So how, do you, how would you, if you were to teach a class with new psychologists coming on, mm -hmm. give me some advice that you would give to them in combining that in the advocacy world? Yeah. I, so the, the first advice I would give to somebody who's becoming a psychologist is to be present with your patients. I think a lot of times we're so focused on, you know, we have to get certain information and we're required to check certain boxes. And, and I suppose that's true. But I guess the reality is the person will come to you if you listen with the most important information. Yes. They, they will guide you. And if you know the key things you have to get, um, that 
that if you listen carefully and follow along where they go, they will tell you what the biggest problems are. They may not know why they have those problems. And that's why you're, that's why you're paid the big bucks is to sort that out. Right. But they, they will, if you listen carefully, reveal to you the, the biggest fears and concerns they have. They may be talking about one thing, but a couple pointed questions, they can reveal to you what they're concerned about. Right. And it may be, I'm concerned that um, I'm having this cognitive problem. They may be complaining about stuff over here, but ask the questions to get at the thing. And if you go into this field, mm-hmm. and really, frankly, I think any healthcare field with a spirit of curiosity, it will, that, that will automatically happen. If you I love that serious person. Now, how long have you been in this? Uh, let's see, 18. If, if I don't yeah. include my, yeah, if I don't include my training, 18 yeah. years. Yeah. I love it because what I see is the newer psychologists, the newer doctors that are working with the disabled will have this curiosity and this passion. Yeah. And when I see the doctors that have been in practice for a long time, it's this is your recipe, da 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 da. If you don't follow it, I can't do anything to help you. Yeah. So there's that, um, there's that older school mentality that I will often just say, thank you so much. This isn't going to work for me, but thank you. So, or my child, I do love that you're giving that and that that's being taught more with our, our newest psychologists coming in, because I think that that advice is so important that they learn to connect and there's not that disconnect, especially yeah. with this generation that has struggled so much connecting with people because we've been, we've been taught that the only way to connect is with this. Yeah. So to now connect personally, I think is, is, um, is going to be interesting to see how our new psychologists um, work with us. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, another thing, and again, I, it's funny, I don't think all these things are really specific to psychology, but certainly for sure for it, I recall being taught very clearly in my training, all of the things you would never tell the person directly. You know, that's, that's something you might put in your note, but you wouldn't just like tell a person their IQ. Right. You wouldn't just that these, these are things that you shouldn't share with people. Right. And the reality, and certainly not with children, I, I do, I share that stuff because I figure it's their body. You know, it's right. not like it, it shouldn't be a mystery. And I have found the more, I have felt increasingly comfortable to tell, tell kids the mm. reality of, you know, particularly deficits. more, I have plenty of kids. Yes, they cry. It's upsetting to hear sure. that something's rough, but it's not that they don't know. And now we've opened up the conversation to talk about the why and right. well, you know, yeah, this is hard and this is sad, but what are we going to do about it? How yeah. are we going to get you out of your parents' face? Yeah, let's exactly. sort it out and let's do it together. Let's be on this ride together. Right. And I, I, I really think that that more broadly, we need as providers to be to just lay it all bare, you know, yeah. put it out there and say, here's where we are. And let's let's own this moment together. And, you know, and then let's move forward. So when are you going to head up teaching all psychologists? <laughs> this? When, are, when are you going to do that? Because I can very much see that this is a passion and this could be something that you you could teach easy on so many of our of our newer doctor professionals, like you said, healthcare professionals in general listening. But 
I think it is the I think more and more it is the new way. You know, yeah. we have new legislation that says this. Right. We have open notes legislation that says like notes are open to patients. Right. So it's, we have we have natural ways and in our new new doctoring models of training in medical schools and I think psychology programs alike are I think increasingly it is the new model and I think yeah. you're right you know like that there's there's been a, a shift over time so there may be people who've been trained in an old way that, right. that and there I think you know what's what's kind of nice is there's a lot of people who don't want the details and so there there's good fits for everybody. Yes. And the key is find, be with the provider that matches what you need. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. And it's okay. I think if you're with, would you agree with this? Whatever that healthcare provider is, if you're with them a few times and you still don't feel that you still feel like this doesn't feel right. It's time. It's okay to say, you know what, this isn't working. Do you have any recommendations? And I think a good doctor or psychologist would we'll go ahead and say, I hear you and I can give you a couple of recommendations. Yeah. I think the key is exactly what you said is start with the person you're working with. Cause sometimes um, I'll have people say like, Oh, I need it. I, I need a new doctor. I need a new provider. And I'll say, well, have you told the one that you're working with what's not working for you? Because I know for me, I have certain ways. I mean, as flexible as I am, I, I I'm still a creature of habit and I have certain things right. I recommend. I've, I've learned to say to people at the front end, if I tell you something you don't like, tell me you don't like it. Don't just yes. nod your head and smile because I, I probably have other things I can suggest. But I think a lot of people have lots of you know tricks in their bag and they are offering the one that they are most accustomed to. But if you don't tell them you don't like it, if you just nod and smile, right. they'll think like it's hunky dory sure. and move along. They don't know. If you then say, this isn't working for me and I want to try this, and they say, well, that's what I'm going to do. Well, if, right. if you're in agreement that you're not going to do what they're telling you and they're saying, well, I'm not going to tell you anything else, right. well, then you should part ways. Yes. Because yes. what are we doing otherwise? Yeah. yeah. I agree with that 100% because I think sometimes in advocacy and on the patient side, we can be quick to say, okay, goodbye. Without right. saying to the the healthcare provider, wait, these are some things that I don't feel that I'm getting. Is there a way? I did that with my neurologist. Unfortunately, it didn't really work. But yeah. the fact is, is that in my learning to advocate more for myself, I was able to do that and then see, okay, there wasn't any change. Mm-hmm. Now I'm moving all my stuff to the University of Michigan. However, it's, it's really important, I think, to do exactly what you said, to have that conversation, whether it's, it's never easy, but to have that so that you, you could very possibly move forward. And like you said, I know in my field, um, I want to know, and yeah. if this isn't working for you, tell me so I can, like you said, I've got a million tricks in my bag. So I may be using this because it's worked so well for mm-hmm. so many clients. But let me know because we can change this up for something Absolutely. that works for you. So I love that you're doing that. Any last parting words that you feel that in the disability world for kids, any early testing that we're finding for parents that are bananas right now wanting to know, will I be able to, I know for, for multiple sclerosis and RA and things like that, you know, when you have it as a, as a parent, you want to know, is there any way that I can find out that my kid could possibly have this? Yeah. I think, um, you know, 
if you have a condition, you know, so certainly autoimmune conditions run in families, they they don't always breed true. So autoimmune conditions as a general rule run through families and sometimes it manifests in different ways in different people, even as primary conditions may run through. Sure. Um, And I think you want to keep a close tab without making yourself crazy. You know, it's like I always say you want to have a low threshold for if you smell something. Right. Do something. Yeah. um, Without making yourself or your kid crazy. Um, Because kids will always say, oh, my mom is always, you know, (laughs) like because she worries. She wants to get an eye out. So, So striking a balance. And I think having a low threshold for non-invasive, low, low risk interventions and tests if you see something that's concerning and save the big guns for when you start to see something that really raises a flag. Um, I think it, it keeps your own sanity better that way too, that, that you say, if there's a really significant issue, I'm going to hop on it. And if it's, if it's issue light, you know, if you're concerned about, about reading, you don't have to run for a neuropsych eval, go to the school and say, I'm concerned about reading. That's what the school does. Right. And, and sort of right sizing your concern and, and, and kind of always have a head check with a friend. That's what I, I suggest. Yeah. A good friend you trust. Am I getting nutty or is this something I should escalate? And then yeah. kind of incrementally escalate things. Absolutely. hundred percent. Would you say the same then for a disability that you see that is um, like, or I'm sorry, I wanted to say um, mental health thing that, you know, has been in your family. And so you're concerned about that. Like I would say bipolar is in my family. So with one of my children, I was concerned mm-hmm. greatly and yeah. she does have it. So that was something I could see patterns early on. Yeah. So I, I would assume then that those are things that probably are caught a little bit early. And is that yeah. easier for psychologists to be able to work with, obviously? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's the same thing. Like you got, you get a low threshold for that sniff test. And similarly, I always say, don't wait, but don't, don't worry. You know, right. that, that if you, if you see something get in there, cause a lot of these things and, and bipolar is a great example where, you know, if you let it go, then things can really work. Right. If you catch things kind of early, the interventions can be really light. You can, the interventions can be pretty small and deliberate and, and even behavioral non-medication based. Right. And I think like most things, it's like allergies and eczema. When you don't let it get crazy, right. you can take care of it. And I think most right. health issues are like that. Yeah, agreed. Well, Jacqueline Kaufman, I so appreciate you answering these questions and what you do for us and for the kids is huge. And I think so many, I obviously have such a passion for kids and for the fact that you're doing neuropsychology for our kids and really catching some of those things, I think is so important. And I couldn't tell you how much I do and so many families deeply appreciate that. So where can we get a hold of you, ma'am? Where can we find you? Well, you know, I'm part of Division 22, which is rehab psychology. So I'm involved in that. Um, I think, you know, I'm at the University of Michigan um, in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Um, You know, for for general questions, I have an academic email. It's 
J-A-Q-K at umich.edu. And I'll have um, that at the bottom of the show notes. So don't yeah. pull over. Don't stop your car. Don't text and drive. It'll be on the bottom of the show notes. Yeah. And clinically, you know, we're a referral based clinic and we, we, we have um, referrals that come through and get triaged. You know, a lot of times we'll get referrals to see us where we always say like, no, 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 you don't want to see us start, start, you know, right. that like start low and slow. Right. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, if you have a concern, you can always talk with, first, always with a pediatrician yes. and talk with the school. And if they feel a referral to a specialist is required, you know, be it, be it neuropsychologist or anyone else, right. I think that's always the place to start. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Move It or Lose It podcast, where you can, again, find us wherever you like your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, join us on that. And we can't wait to see you again. We're going to have a lot of exciting guests and working together. And as always, you'll hear us say at the end of every podcast, we are stronger together. So let's do it. Let's become stronger together. Have a great day. Hey.